Dear friends, welcome on Alatar TV. The topic of our today's roundtable is international dialogue, the first step to overcome the global crisis. This roundtable is being conducted in continuation of an unprecedented conference, Global Crisis. This already affects everyone, held on the platform of Alatra International Public Movement on July 24th. This conference raised an immense amount of feedback and continues to resonate with millions of people around the globe. The reasons for this are the topics raised during the massive online event that was simultaneously interpreted into more than 72 languages, and it was initiated and entirely realized by ordinary people, thousands of volunteers from more than 180 countries of the world, and united millions of people worldwide. The topics that were discussed are the fourth industrial revolution and the threat of mass unemployment due to the digital transformation, introduction of high technologies based on artificial intelligence, rapid depletion of the planet's resources, global climate change, and cyclicality of astronomical events affecting our planet. The most important is that we did not just shed light on the problems, but offered the solutions that are undoubtedly required for the survival of humanity and revival of our civilization. People around the globe heard the truth about the dire situation we are all in right now. And the comments, reviews, and messages in all forms are pouring in because people understand that global crisis we are facing today is the crisis of consumerist format of our society, where profit is the main value. And the message we have to change the way we live and build a creative society where human life is the highest value was once again heard all over the world. And today we continue to talk about these most pressing issues at this round table, and we'll talk about international dialogue. My co-host today is Marina, and she will introduce our guests. Thank you very much, Alexei. Greetings, dear guests. Greetings, dear viewers. Yes, we continue this discussion because it's so vitally acute and important for all of us. And with a great honor, I would like to introduce you to Professor Robert Kennedy, PhD in political science, President of the Atlanta Council on International Relations, Professor Emeritus of International Affairs, Sam Nunn School of Georgia Institute of Technology. Welcome, Robert. Professor, nice Professor Jagdish Seth from Emory University, founder of Seth Foundation and recipient of the 2020 Padma Bhushan Award for Literature and Education. This is one of the highest civilian awards given by the government of India. Greetings, dear Professor Sad. Uh, our next speaker is Dr. Masli Malik, member of Parliament of Malaysia, academician, social and education activist. From May 2018 till now, Dr. Mazli is the member of Parliament of Malaysia. And from May 2018 till January 2020, 
Minister of Education in Malaysia. Welcome, Dr. Malik. Thank you, Alexia. And I also would like to welcome Professor Jorge Loaiza, Professor of International Finance, Private Banker and Director at Suiza Fidelis. Professor Jorge Loaiza has 30 years of experience in portfolio management and international capital market and extensive experience in the financial service industry. Dear speakers, we're so happy to see you today. Thank you so much for joining this round table. It is very important for all of us. It's a very warm welcome. And um, you know, indeed, the conference touched on very important topics and created uh, great resonance. And uh, we are happy to announce that a new conference uh, will be held on December 4th, Global Crisis. Time for the Truth, and that will expand on the topic of climate and environmental disasters. And uh, thanks to our esteemed guests at today's roundtable, we will deepen our understanding of the um, consumer's format of society and the crisis uh, we, uh, it experiences right now. And we will jointly identify the ways out. So before we start, let's watch a video from uh, the conference Global Crisis. This already affects everyone. tremendous technical breakthrough in the world. Every day, neural networks are successfully replacing millions of people in all professions. The unemployment rate has reached a critical level. The planet's ecosystem is destroyed. The number of cataclysms is increasing every day. There are no safe areas left on the planet.
it's already happening. But there is still a chance to change everything. Yes, definitely. There is a chance to change everything. And I truly hope that we will use this chance. And right now, I would like to ask the first question to all of our guests. Could you please share your impression of the conference and tell us how important it is to inform the population about these issues and their upcoming crisis? Uh, Professor Loaiza, can we please start with you? Thanks a lot, uh, Marina. So it's a pleasure to be with our distinguished guests uh, participating in this important dialogue because it is not only, as you said in the presentation, it's not only a discussion of uh, when, but uh, it's a discussion of this moment. Uh, I do believe that it's more important than ever to talk with all the young generations about this problematic because they are going to suffer more than us. If you see, I could imagine that we, all the four panelists, we are 50 years already. So we have done already our life. <laughs> we have our success and failures for sure. But the young guys and young girls are the ones who are going to suffer because of our errors. And uh, so I would like to say the following. So consumerism has been in the ADN of the human being for thousand years. If we see, for example, the grapes of uh, former uh, emperors or former uh, warriors and so on, we are going to see uh, a lot of consumerism. For example, Tutankhamun's grape, uh, Senor de Sipang's grape in Latin America, in Asia, the same thing, etc., etc. So it has been in our ADN, this consumerism. And in the in our days, it has been exacerbated. So when we were only less than 1 billion people in, in the earth, or on earth, it was not a problem maybe. But now with 7 billion people going every day to drink a cup of coffee, going every day to wear some sneakers, many of these people uh, uh, asking for new sneakers every day, it becomes a problem. Uh, we can argue in a lot of, uh, of things, economical things, financial things. So everything that we are wearing was done in a factory. It means works. It means jobs. It means salaries. Our society needs that everybody has a salary but so he has to or she has to produce something and i do remember with, with terror i have to say 
my early days at the university when our uh, professors told us with very uh, uh, with very high happiness about the creative destruction. And everybody, so I am an engineer, we were fascinated with this creative destruction. So I, I do believe that today we don't have to talk anymore about uh, creative destruction. We have to to talk about destruction and how to stop it. We have to talk about it, not to talk to do more of the same, but to stop and say, okay, it's enough of the same. So we have to think new creative forms to stop it. Uh, I don't want to, to go uh, further. Uh, I will say that in my humble opinion, the way the, to to say a stop it is education education for all our kids for all our youngs and i have to say we the 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 generation of more than 50 we have to relearn lessons we have to uh, stop acting in the way that we were educated we have to stop saying creative destruction. We have to stop the destruction. We have to stop the destruction of our environment, our animals, our entire way of life. And so with that words, uh, I will be uh, happy to, to hear the, the words of our distinguished guests. Thank you, Jorge. Uh, you know, I think that uh, it is clear uh, for everyone uh, that um, by uh, just pursuing uh, profits, uh, we uh, destroyed the planet and uh, we cannot uh, by any means call it a creative destruction. Because, uh, well, if anything was created, it was uh, uh, mountains of junk, you know, that uh, now we do not what to do with and we will talk about it uh, in depth during the next conference on the 4th of December. Uh, so uh, can we ask uh, the same question to uh, Professor Seth? Uh, what is your opinion about uh, the conference and uh, why is it important uh, to um, bring this information to the public so that everyone is aware of his affairs? No, thank you. Uh, I think the conference was outstanding. Uh, it was almost like a marathon race, but at the same time, very important messages. And I think the conference delivered four very important messages. One had to do with sustainability, the way we are consuming natural resources, whether those are agricultural, renewable resources, or non-agricultural. It's not sustainable with the world becoming all of a sudden modern branded consumer products as opposed to the way we consumed before the industrial revolution. Second message, I think it was equally important, which was the impact of AI, artificial intelligence and how it's going to impact society in general, but individuals in particular. Not just in terms of supporting the individuals, but will that take the jobs away? Will there be a substitution effect rather than a complementary effect. I think that was a very strong message. World-class scholars talked about that one. Uh, the third one, one that I focus on, is the 
increasing economic disparity. It's getting so large, not just on income, which is what we measure in economics, but on wealth. And I think this is one that's going to haunt us as we go forward. And I think it was a very strong message at that conference that economic disparity that created since industrial revolution, but more importantly, since the first energy crisis in the 74, 78, the rise of the private equity capital, for example, and how private equity began to ramp up, focusing on shareholder value as opposed to societal value or shared value. I think that's a very key area and we need to refocus back again, hopefully in this particular dialogue. And the last area has to do with international relationships. Social media are bringing the world together, events happening anywhere in the world, you know instantly what is happening and what does that happen in terms of labor mobility, refugee problems, etc. So I think the, 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 the conference was done very, very well. And, and I was really impressed, informed several of my colleagues through my social media that they should watch. And if nothing else, I'm so glad, Alexia, that you are going to have another conference on December 4. But at the same time, the old conference had so much of interesting comments and solutions that it could be replicated or repeated again. So I was very pleased with the conference. Thank you very much, Professor Seth, for your feedback. It's, it's very valuable for us. And uh, the next speaker that I would like to ask is uh, Dr. Malik. Could you please share your impression about the conference? Thank you, Marina, and respected, uh, distinguished uh, speakers, panelists. Uh, I would uh, consider this conference as a brilliant idea. And I would say it's a magnificent approach in dealing with the current situation. Uh, I feel very grateful to the organizer for inviting me to share some of my thoughts uh, with other respected uh, speakers. And just like uh, Professor Jorge mentioned earlier, education is very pivotal in, uh, in, in, in dealing with the uh, current situation that we're living with. But the most important thing, it just reminds me of uh, Farid Zakaria's uh, book, 10 Lessons uh, for a Post-Pandemic World uh, that he has written last year uh, after a few months of uh, the lockdown that the whole world experienced. Uh, one of the topics was about uh, the globalization is not that. And uh, in that chapter, he was talking about how people can uh, really, at the moment, interdepending to each other more than before. Even, I mean, the global pandemic. So it just reminds me of uh, the proper approach in dealing with the situation that we're living now is we need to live together and have the sense that we belong to one big world community, that we should feel that we are interconnected to each other, interdepending on each other. Uh, this is where I still remember when talking about education, when I was a minister of education a few years back, I uh, tried to inculcate three major uh, principles in, in education in Malaysia, or three major, let me say, uh, values. The first value is love. 
I mean, there's no education without love and, you know, there's no life without love. But it's not only a, the, the very surface idea of love, but the very deep meaning of love, living your own self, loving your family, love your community, love your surrounding, love the environment and love people who are living with you in the same globe. And number two, the second value is happiness. You know, talking about happiness, classical scholars and classical philosophers uh, talk in length about it. And when I was looking at Professor Jorge's name, just remind me of uh, Jorge, Julius uh, Borges, I mean, who, who wrote a lot about uh, this idea of happiness and love in a very philosophical uh, fiction of his. I mean, it's very important in order to attain happiness, uh, we really need each other. And we really need to ensure that it's not only our own happiness, but also the happiness of others. And this leads to the third value that we really inculcated and we're really pushing uh, in our education system, which is mutual respect. This is where we need to respect others before we demand others to respect us. If we respect others, we would think, uh, we would put ourselves in the same shoes of others and we would have a, a higher sense of empathy before we do a lot of other things. And with that, I trust that we can avoid a lot of calamities, a lot of destructions that we are experiencing now. So these three major elements that we preach a lot in our education system and we embrace a lot in our education system, uh, but with the change of government, I'm not sure whether they're still implementing that. But what I really want to emphasize here is, you know, it's a blessing. I really uh, feel very grateful to the organizer to, to embrace uh, the whole nations, the whole nations in the globe to be in your conference, which I believe is a noble idea to make us uh, feel that we belong to one big family. We're not living alone in this planet. We cannot work in silos. You know, whenever we're working towards the uh, social development goal, whatever we talk about, I mean, we must know that we cannot work alone. We don't live alone in this world. We are in the, interdepending on each other. We, are, uh, we need each other. I mean, it's not only about ensuring uh, the continuity of uh, well-being of our own community or society or our nation, but it's about the whole global uh, family that we're living with. So thank you. Thank you very much, thank Dr. You. Malik. I fully agree with you that right now we live in a world that's so small on one side and technology even make it even smaller. And it's so easy for us right now on one side to start this mutual dialogue and definitely find a way out of this, all this crisis that we're facing right now. And thank you again very much, dear um, speakers, for all your answers. Uh, the conference focuses a lot on the climate, the cause of climate change, because this question is vitally important, life-saving for all of us. And um, it also talks about the tragic consequences of climate change in today's consumer farm that we are facing already now. 
And during conference, again, we have seen a lot of facts voiced by the respected scientists from all over the world uh, that this crisis will affect every one of us because we all right now sitting in one boat and we all need to understand this. That's why I would like to invite you to watch the short video from the conference on the topic of climate catastrophes. Summer of 2021, fires, floods, hurricanes, and abnormal heat waves. What is happening to the planet? You are used to hearing that global warming on the planet is due to human activity. The truth is, the problem is much more global than that, and it is rapidly gaining momentum, and there is nothing we can do to control it. The reasons for what is happening are within the planet, which has entered a period of global cataclysms. Nucleus. In 1998, a drastic shift of the planet's core was recorded. After that, the GRACE satellites and instruments on the Earth's surface detected an abnormal expansion of the planet at the equator, as well as heating from the inside. Because of the displacement of the core, it is unbalanced. With its vibrations, it creates shock waves, which are manifested on the surface of the planet by increased earthquakes and cracks on the Earth's surface. Through these cracks, a large volume of water escapes into the bowels of the planet. Molten magma rushes to the surface and heats this water. The water evaporates and escapes into the atmosphere. These enormous masses of water fall down in the form of sudden torrential rains. As the planet expanded, new continental rifts began to form. The number of volcanic eruptions increased. Significant tsunamis, including catastrophic ones, Tornadoes, tropical storms, and hurricanes became more frequent. Floods and wildfires have become part of the daily news. Since 2015, the situation has become even worse. And today, the deformation of the planet continues to escalate enormously. Earthquakes. Earthquakes with magnitudes greater than 8.5 have increased dramatically over the past 20 years. Since 2003, synchronization of seismic noise began, which means that the Earth is preparing for a mega earthquake. According to scientists, it will occur in the Japanese archipelago and will have a magnitude of more than 10 which is 32 times stronger than the 2011 Tohoku earthquake of magnitude 9. Entire countries could disappear from the face of the Earth at any moment. Volcanoes. Since the beginning of the 20th century, the number of powerful volcanic eruptions has doubled as a result of growing internal energy of the planet. There has also been a steady increase in the strength of eruptions and the amount of ash and lava that has been released. Today, about 600 million people 
live near active volcanoes, capable of destroying entire cities at any moment. And every day, the probability of these events is only increasing. Glaciers. Greenland and Antarctic glaciers are losing three times more mass than 30 years ago. We are told that global warming is the cause. We are not told that the glaciers are melting from the bottom up because of the intense release of heat from the Earth's interior. For example, Antarctica is only melting on the west side, where there is a huge magma chamber. Greenland's glaciers are shrinking for a similar reason. Obviously, man has no influence on what is happening. World Ocean In 2019, the temperature of the world's oceans rose 0.075 degrees Celsius above average. This may not seem much, but in fact, the numbers are catastrophic. The energy for such heating is equivalent to the explosion of three and a half billion atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima. And this energy came from the very bowels of the Earth. Melting of the sea ice and expansion of the warming water has caused the sea level to rise by almost 15 centimeters in the last 30 years. And this is just the beginning. There has also been an increase in the number and power of storms, as well as a significant acceleration of currents. Hurricanes, tornadoes. The year of 2020 broke all records for the frequency of hurricanes and tropical cyclones on the planet for all time. Because of increasing humidity and rising temperatures, the intensity and number of tornadoes has increased. They have become more frequent where they used to be rare. Since the 1950s, the number of tornadoes in Europe has increased tenfold and continues to grow. Temperature anomalies and records. According to the data prepared for the IPCC report on climate change, over the past 140 years, the average temperature on the planet has risen by one degree Celsius and by three degrees Celsius in the Arctic. And we can already see the catastrophic consequences right outside the window. The period since 2000 has accounted for 19 of the 20 hottest years on the planet in the history of meteorological observations. Floods. Floods are one of the most common natural disasters that are also growing in strength. 60 years ago, only eight major floods were recorded per year. However, in 2020, this number increased by 25 times and totaled 201 cases. Moreover, they began to occur synchronously, affecting several countries at once. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, the number of floods in the U.S. has increased by approximately 100% over the past 30 years. Between 1998 and 2017, floods affected more than 2 billion people worldwide. There's so many people dead. 
as we can see, we are all in the same boat. And in order to survive, everyone has to start rowing now. And um, we would also like to uh, thank um, all of you for participating in the conference and uh, um, also Professor uh, Kennedy. Uh, we thank you for your contribution and your participation also uh, in previous events. And can you please tell us uh, why, in your opinion, is it so important to inform the population, everyone, about what is really happening with our planet? Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak once again uh, at one of your conferences. Uh, I find them extraordinarily informative, and it's a great pleasure uh, to be with you again. Uh, I want to take a, a minute to talk about a few things that have already been discussed, if you will. Uh, first of all, the issue of consumerism, which I find fascinating. Uh, we all have been uh, subjected to uh, what we can consider to be consumerism, the desire to acquire more and more things that perhaps have less and less relevance to the quality of life. I attribute that more to what I call human greed. I think greed, it's not, it's not consumerism per se, but it is the greed that drives consumerism and the desire for profits. But profits in and of themselves are not bad. It is, you know, it's with the money that is derived from profits that drive investment in important things that can mitigate many of the problems that we have today. It's investments in health that allow us to deal with a pandemic and to deal with it in a very fairly efficient and quick way compared to other pandemics that we've experienced throughout human existence. It allows us to communicate with each other and overcome some of the differences and begin to understand concerns of other people. So technology per se and investments in technology are not bad. It, in my, my concern is the overwhelming greed that drives that investment and the impact of that. And what that means is that today, for example, we have eight people on this planet that have money equal to almost half of the rest of the people on the planet. Now, that imbalance drives concerns among many, many, many people. It drives problems domestically where there are disparities in income between the rich who are getting richer and the poor who are stagnating and the middle class who are also stagnating or growing at a very small rate. This causes domestic problems and turmoil. Similarly, internationally, when you talk about, for example, purchase power, uh, power parity, where we're talking about what a basket of goods can buy, the difference between the richer nations and the poorer nations is growing. And it is growing in a dangerous way. An example is the average person in a place like Luxembourg has purchase power parity of about $118,000 a year. In Burundi, we're talking about $720,000, I mean $720 a year. So you can see this disparity is going to perhaps cause conflicts between nations, among peoples within nations, 
And these things absolutely need to be addressed. And this is what I think uh, one of the great values of what Alatra is trying to do internationally uh, uh, is it, this is one of the great values that, that you, are, you are performing. I also wanted to pick up on a couple of ideas that were expressed by others. It will be the youth that can do this for us. This group of people that were sitting on the planet, as some of you have already mentioned, uh, we're at an age where many times our ideas are fixed. But the young people have open minds. As the Minister of Education, I'm sure uh, Dr. Malik knows exactly what I'm speaking, about what I'm speaking. They have open minds, they have concerns, and they are interconnected like ways that we were never interconnected. They are growing commonalities among people. They can make changes that we probably are not able to do. So it's going to take that kind of leadership, you know, leadership among the young who try to understand what's really going on, what you are pointing out here today, the problems we're having climatologically, the problems uh, that are caused by artificial intelligence, the problems that are caused by income inequality, and so many other issues that we have, dealing with migrations, dealing with countries that are going to actually be submerged below the sea level, and transportation of those individuals to other areas on the globe. We need young people that are able to do that, that are well-educated in the problems, that they have the moral courage to do what is right, not necessarily always what is expedient, which seems to be what has happened today with today's politicians, whether you're in an authoritarian country or whether you're in a democratic country, staying in power seems to be what drives political activity. We need leaders that will overcome that and realize that we do, as Marina said, all live in this same boat and we all need to work together. And it is not impossible. We have worked together in a number of areas and we are making some progress, for example, in climate change with all these accords that we've had uh, that date back to, to, to 1987 and, and, and up to more recently in the Paris Accords. But the progress is slow. The younger people can drive that. Education can drive that progress to where we can begin to, as a minimum, manage the problems we have today in a way that will make tomorrow a better world. But they also, these leaders also need to have a bit of humility to understand that they're not always right. And this means listening to others. This means listening oftentimes before you speak. Understanding the concerns, the objectives of other people, not just your own, and trying to transmit those. And integrity, which I find lacking woefully among leaders of the world. People that will commit themselves to the truth. And what you have displayed in your conferences is the truth about what is happening today on our planet. So I'm looking forward to a discussion among uh, many of our, our uh, participants today about how we can better deal with that. We can, we can work together. Differences of opinion among peoples is a common phenomenon. It is part of a natural existence. We all grow up in different environments. We all you know, have 
Many of us have different religions, different traditional, different traditions, different experiences in life. We live in a different geographic location with different problems that we confront the result of that. But we can sit down if we understand these problems, if we, if we can sit down to understand these problems as others see them. And then we can find common ground to move ahead. We have done this in areas in the past. We need to emphasize that in the future. We need to work with our young people. As, as I look at many of your conferences, I see so many young people out there so eager to be involved. I encourage them to grab the leadership of this planet and drive us forward in a way that is conducive to a better human condition. So thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Bob. It's true. There are so many young people right now involved in all the Alatra project. And uh, at the same time, we also have so many great, wise people that represent all the generation, that showing the example how to act, that sharing their wisdom with us. And I definitely appreciate all of you today so that you joined today and will share with us your knowledge because uh, the situation that we are facing right now is very difficult and we all need to roll up our slaves and work together. Thank you very much again for your comment. Yes, thank you. And, uh, you know, you mentioned also uh, one important um, thing that uh, there are steps that are being made that, uh, for example, after each catastrophic event, uh, all countries agree to promote solidarity and mutual help. However, the implementation of these agreements remains very weak and so the national interests prevail. But uh, with what is coming, not no single country will, able, will be able to cope with. And uh, this is why it is vital to establish the dialogue between the countries um, to solve this situation and uh, to establish dialogue, we need to get to know each other. And uh, this is why it is important, I guess, to show this um, uh, international aspect uh, that we are all the same, we're all experiencing the same things. And another uh, important, very important topic that you mentioned uh, was the uh, inequality and the disparity between uh, uh, different countries and different uh, social uh, stratum. And also, um, Professor said uh, in your speech at the conference, you talked about economic inequality and how it is detrimental to, uh, to us. Can you please share, uh, in your opinion, uh, what conditions need to be created in a society for uh, prosperity and positive development to happen in every country? Can we reform the economic system already today uh, so that um, not the earnings, not the profit come first, uh, comes first, but human life? No, I think uh, you are absolutely right. Uh, Professor Kennedy made a very articulate plea, and I think we need to think about that one. Business is a good force if it is channeled in the right direction. It's not the activity, but its mission. What's the purpose of business is very important. Two, three quick comments I will make. First of all, the business of business has to be more than business. 
It is not the profit seeking or shareholder value that should be the outcome by which business as an institution is measured going forward. It was not the area actually. Surprisingly, this focus on profits and capitalistic gains has happened only recently because in the old days, during industrialization, families who started businesses lived in the communities in which they had organized the business. The community gave their resources, which would be the land, access to water, whatever they were, and they generated in industrial products, etc. As they were all in the same community, the customers were there, suppliers were there, employees, of course, there, and they lived in the same neighborhood. Their children went to the same school, and they all went to the same faith or the church. The church was a great equalizer. So you had this very informal engagement between employees, suppliers, community, and the owners of the business. That went away when the leaders of the business began to move toward capital markets, such as New York, London, Tokyo, Shanghai, wherever they go, and they began to think only about profit as the only sole motive of business. This has resulted into something that is absolutely astounding in my view. The largest capital created in the last 25 to 30 years since the great energy crisis is there. I mark everything in the 80s, for example, now exceeds $160 trillion, trillion dollars, owned by private individuals, not by sovereign funds, not by corporations, but by private individuals. They're very good about investing. So if you take $160 trillion and average into all kinds of investments, that's a 10% return, which is very conservative and very doable. They are earning $16 trillion, which is bigger than most economies in the world. So private wealth, personal wealth is creating more wealth. And therefore, the coefficient of lowest wealth to the highest wealth is increasing even more rapidly than the income. My own view is that I think all of this can be resolved very quickly in a number of ways. First of all, we are encouraging large corporations to move away from capital markets. So they're not constantly under the pressure of the analysts or the investor community, but they look at the holistic reality of the community itself of the employees themselves, suppliers, five stakeholders, essentially. Second one, of course, is to create wealth, but it is shared not only just with the shareholders, but also with the community at the same time, other stakeholders. And that's very doable. I mean, we used to have cooperatives at one time where employees owned the company. We used to have employees owning the companies other than cooperatives, for example. We had many mechanisms. I think we can go back to some of the mechanisms where wealth is not concentrated to the owners only, but the ownership itself is distributed among everybody in the city. I think that's very key. I think capitalism is a great force, but it is like a wild river. It has to be banked by some norms, values, etc., so that it becomes useful to the society which is how the Niles River, which is very important 
resource, but when it gets flooded, it floods everything. And I think one can bank it properly. I studied psychology and uh, statistics, and I'm more into consumer psychology. That's my discipline primarily. And I learned that Freud was a great thinker. He talked about the power of id. Id is an energy. To me, capitalism is an energy. Then you have the ego. Ego is the individual who uses that energy and can actually become self-destructive by what Professor Kennedy just mentioned, greed. So how can you make sure that the ego, which is the entrepreneur, uses that energy, the capitalism as a force for the good of the society, which is why we came out with a super ego on the institutional shaping, public opinion shaping about what is a good business behavior and what is not a good business behavior. I think that can be done. So fundamentally, three things are possible. One is to move away from capital markets so you're not constantly under the pressure of the investors and the analysts. Second thing, of course, is sharing the wealth as you create the wealth, not after creating the wealth and then say, let me start a foundation and my foundation will do all the bad things that I created correcting for those. I think it's a part of the DNA of doing business, sharing in the wealth from the time you create. And the third one is actually mutual cooperation between the business and the government. Public-private partnership on a global basis or institutional or uh, international institutions, such as the United Nations, for example, working together between the NGOs, the international agencies, and of course the governments is going to become more and more necessary. The interdependence we have seen during the pandemic, obviously, and of course more than pandemic, we see interdependence through social media on so many activities. I think collectively we can do better than what we can do individually. I do like one comment that Marina has mentioned before in the earlier conference, I think we have to go beyond our current understanding of how capitalism works. The theory we created of capitalism, starting, let's say, with Adam Smith, talks about the invisible hand, for example. I do believe we need more intervention and visible hand. And rather than competition as the only way to get more out of capitalism, we need more and more cooperation or collaboration, at least, among different stakeholders or institutions that compete with each other. Radical thought in many ways, but over time it's going to gain. I'm more optimistic at the same time because you have seen the investors themselves now creating a new form of capital, which is ESG. Capital that will invest in environmental sustainability, social upbringing, the United Nations goals, and of course onto governance. I think putting ESG capital as the driver will change the business of behavior quite a lot. So overall, I must tell you, I'm optimistic, surprisingly, both not only for the young generation, as everybody has talked about, but I do believe people at my age, and I'm 82 years old, we are changing ourselves because we see the reality out there that says it's just not sustainable. So overall, I'm very optimistic about the future despite all the current problems that we are facing. Thank you very much, Professor Sad. And definitely together, 
100% we will be able to find solution. And even if we look at the problem and the problem looks very complicated and very difficult to solve, but together we definitely can. And right now you showed us one of the way out of the economical crisis that we already starting to see in the world. And thank you so much for your help. And uh, I would like to um, uh, ask Professor Loaiza, uh, you have brought, you know, during the conference, you have brought to our attention the fact that the situation in the world is extremely acute. And uh, you, I will quote you, you said that we are facing the last seconds before midnight, even the in financial aspects. We are making billionaires, trillionaires, every minute, but they are few compared to the hundreds of new poor that we are making every second. And, and this dangerous situation is aggrav aggravated by impending climate disasters. And how do you think, how will the climatic crisis affect the financial system and the situation in the world as a whole if major cat catastrophe occurs? Do we have maybe any mutual financial assistance between countries, any kind of treaties or? Um... So the financial industry is really very aware that all the climate change is affecting our investments. So I, I can see that uh, it's not only because of the financial aspect, but it's also because many of my colleagues in the profession are realizing that as all the other distinguished members of this panel said, we are in the same boat. And I, I will say that uh, after seeing uh, the video that uh, Alexei and you, Marina, show us, we, we can only quote uh, John Donne in his poem of the For Whom the Bell Tolls, saying that after all what we have seen, therefore, we must not seem to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. <laughs> it, is, it tolls for all the humanity, but I will rescue the optimism of uh, our... Uh, of our friend, uh, Professor Slit, and I will say, okay, uh, I hope that the, the bell tolls not for a burial, but uh, the bell tolls for a wedding, <laughs> uh, for a wedding of the humanity with our earth. It means to love our environment, to love our animals, and to love each other. Not important is which political view you have. It's not important how, how old you are or what uh, country you come from, but we are in the same boat. And to coming back, I am not going to, to go into many philosophical uh, discussions or discussions, but Everybody in the financial industry realizes that we are facing a very big distortions. 
how it's possible that the economy is not doing very well, so the real economy, but the capital markets are in a very uh, unbelievable uh, stratospheric bull mood. So every uh, day, so the, in the last uh, weeks, we have seen how the Standard Poor's 500 is getting higher and higher and higher. So that's the, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> it's going to explode in our hands. So it's not possible that it could continue. So uh, at the level of the financial industry, everybody is very aware even when the standard of course is going higher and higher, very aware that uh, a crisis is in the making, a crisis is going to come very soon, and I do believe that uh, big players in the world are realizing also that. For example, in the last hours, so the government of China did said, uh, okay, now we are going to, to put more emphasis in redistribution. So what Professor Kennedy told us about greed as a motor of what we are living now, and uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's coming from the 80s. So the, the famous Gordon Gekko character of Wall Street film who says greed is good, I do believe that is not anymore an icon, but uh, it's, uh, it, it gives us so the, the answer of the youngs in the sense of greed is not good. <laughs> greed is not good, and we have to start to think about that. And I will say that I have found in the financial industry a very practical solution to what we are living in terms of inequality and with, uh, what we are living in terms of to use in a responsible manner capitalism, as uh, our professor said, said uh, so to, to use it as an energy. And I will point it in, in, in very few words. You know, the Swiss, uh, the, the Swiss law has a very interesting uh, chapter or regulation that says something like that. You cannot earn much more than the average people in the same position as you how it works in the, uh, in the real world. So you are the owner of a financial company, but you cannot uh, put in your payroll your own salary higher than if your position were filled with an employee. So it means that you cannot uh, go with salaries of... Uh, uh, 200, 300, or 400 million dollars. <laughs> so for the Swiss guys, it comes not into the question. So you have to earn the same as you were a normal employee. So what does it mean, for example, uh, for many of uh, people I, I know in the industry, that 
there is not so much difference with the average people. It's very interesting to see, for example, what comes into in the in the Swiss society. In the Swiss society, there is not such big difference between the average uh, employee and the average executive or the uh, average owner of a of a business. So I will say it doesn't solve all the problems, but it's a very good start. If we put that there cannot be open roads to go into this big disparity of the income of the people, that's a very good start. And if we put that also with uh, education and not seeing capitalism as, uh, as an evil, but as an energy, but as a positive energy. And if we put greed aside of the equation, we could start to say, okay, tolls, or better to say, bell tolls, but it's not a funeral. <laughs> bell tolls inviting us to a celebration, a celebration of love, a celebration of empathy to each other, a celebration to save our environment, a celebration to save our animals. Because how the people treat the animals in order to go into this consumption society, it's terrible. If you see how chickens are treated for these chicken factories, how cattle is treated, in order to give us the barbecue of the weekend and so on and so on, we realize that our world is not going good. So we need again to put, as the other distinguished members of this panel said, greed at the side. We have to use the energy of the capitalism and we have to use education. Thank you so much, Jorge. Definitely, as as the professor said, said also. So we need to raise the banks and build the walls here to prevent our ego, our greed, to play the important role in our life. And so we will forget who we truly are. So we are human. And you also mentioned that animals right now are, are treated very badly. But as soon as you will learn the information how refugees, how people will be treated, treated, you will be like really surprised and I would say shocking information because you will realize that during that situation with the climate, like we, all of us can be in their shoes and we definitely need to act immediately in order to stop it and to start the new relationship between all of us, between countries based on the good the best human qualities. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. And you know, it doesn't uh, really matter how we uh, hold the system of our relationships uh, that uh, we have. Uh, the most important thing is uh, which uh, values uh, are uh, in the society. And if uh, greed uh, 
is uh, one aspect of uh, things, then we also, uh, you know, need to just maybe rethink um, putting human life uh, at the top of our priorities will uh, solve already a lot of a lot of problems if uh, uh, we start thinking like this. Thank you. And um, our next question goes to Professor Kennedy. So in your speech, you showed very well the main causes of crisis in a consumer society and pointed to a very important fact that thanks to modern technology, we not only have easier communication between people, but also have a huge potential to work together to overcome this crisis. And Dr. Kennedy, could you please tell us what are the main issues we must confront and what are the principal roadblocks that confront the world community and make success in overcoming those roadblocks difficult, if not impossible? Well, that's a, a big charter you've given me. <laughs> and I'm not sure I have answers for all of those questions. But obviously, many of the issues that have been raised by Alatra and you've demonstrated in your film uh, are ones that we have to confront. Uh, we absolutely need to address in a serious way uh, the external effects of uh, what we're causing with regard to climate change. We may not be able to change what's going on at the core of the earth, but we certainly can address the problems that we are cre creating on its surface. Uh, the problems we have with uh, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, where, how do we control that? Uh, how do we deal with the fact that we'll have workers displaced? I'm not pessimistic about that entirely because we've been through some of that during the Industrial Revolution. Uh, we remember the strikes that took place when we tried to replace the firemen uh, who fed the coal or the wood into our locomotives as we moved to electric uh, uh, driven engines. Uh, we've been through the displacements that have taken place in many of the uh, industries that are now uh, uh, run by uh, automated means. But we do will need to address those issues and make sure that we actually can control artificial intelligence and not have it ultimately control us. Of course, the problem that I mentioned earlier of income inequality and also, I think we need to think seriously about how we address the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. And here I speak not just of the nuclear problem that most people think, seem to often focus on, but how you get to the underlying factors like controlling the movement of fissile materials, uh, how we deal with pandemics. Uh, some years ago, some research was undertaken that noted that China, for example, basically relies on one strand of rice. A rust that might affect that could affect the lives of millions of people. And we need to be putting our energy today into addressing how we might deal with such a scenario. We already have been confronted with a pandemic that is killing millions of people. And it's not killing millions of people uh, simply because we can't deal with it. It is killing it for a variety of reasons. The disease itself, 
is multiplying out of control, partly because many people have not been vaccinated. And this has some of its roots in income disparities. The wealthy nations obviously have the means to deal with this more than the poor nations on the earth. So we need to work together. And I'm seeing more and more of that in a sense. I'm a bit more optimistic. We're seeing more and more of the wealthy nations stepping up and sending vaccines to the poor nations uh, on the globe. This is also where technological diffusion can help. That is, how do we create incentives? Uh, you know, Professor uh, uh, Loaisa mentioned the fact uh, that we have, uh, we have uh, certain economic measures and financial measures that we might take. How do we stimulate the movement of those products, not just based on the, the money that will be made by the industries themselves, but also the human good that will come out of this? And I might add from a, an interesting perspective, from an economic perspective, as countries develop, they consume more goods. Consumerism per se isn't bad because, in fact, many of the goods they will consume will extend their life, will improve their health conditions, will provide them employment when, in fact, the desertification of their lands make agriculture unsustainable. And so I think these are some of the issues that we need to confront. The problem is, how do we confront them? We have always, as human beings, focused on ourselves or on our tribe or on our clan. And we need to grow beyond that. We have the means to do that. And in many ways, we are doing that. Can advances, technical advances in communication and transportation have grown a global community. I can listen to what my friend in Bulgaria is concerned about immediately. I can Zoom with him and he can explain that to me in ways that I could never understand sitting here alone and isolated on the continent of North America. I have a greater variety of information coming to me via the Internet, which I can immediately uh, get a feeling for concerns that others have, objectives that others have. And this enables me and will enable younger generations to work together to overcome the traditional human condition where ideas differ and they result in conflict. Now, I may not be as optimistic as Professor Seth is or some of the other people, because conflict has been a normal human condition for as long as man has inhabited this planet. But we do have the means to overcome that. And I think moving away from concerns about ourselves and about simply making money and looking more at how we can contribute to the betterment of people's lives around the globe uh, will be a first step. And I might add, I sense a little of this during the pandemic. People are reassessing what the quality of life really means. Does it mean having a fifth television or a third automobile or the biggest automobile 
or SUV I can buy? Or is it enjoying more time with family, enjoying more time with friends, learning more about what other people think? I think we're seeing that and we're seeing people beginning to reevaluate what life is all about. And in that sense, if that will continue, and I am not certain that it will, if that will continue, we will have made a great stride in working together to address the problems that the globe confronts today. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you again for emphasizing the core problem of our society, the consumer format in which greed and desire for profit to reach the maximum profit with any cost is dominating and dominating in every person, almost in every person on earth. It doesn't matter how old are you or uh, in which social status you are right now. So that what we um, learn from the first day of our life to go even further, further and further to, to reach more just to, um, in order to become the one, the, uh, the one who will be the alpha, the one who can dominate. So, uh, but we are human, we actually more than that. So we just need to, as you said, put a lot of effort in our education. And for all, most of all, we need to change our own behavior because we as adults, we know better than our children. They learn by imitation. It doesn't matter how, <laughs> how many hours a day you will preach them. They will copy your behavior. So, um, and we need to bring to our society, bring those best quality, make them popular and really grow, grow a new world. Because right now we definitely only have two choices. Either we go to the direction of a creative society, the modeling society in which human life stays on the first place, or unfortunately, we will run down the cliff. And definitely, we don't want to choose the second path. The consumer format is bring us to the tragedy and um, it's cause to all, that that's the cause of all of our problem that you were voice today, dear speakers. And Dr. Malik, in your last uh, interview on Alatra TV, you talk about the value of human life and that every human being has an enormous potential for the transformation of a society, the foundation of which must be a humanity and the moral upbringing. Could you please tell us uh, about the importance of unification can we cope with upcoming crisis alone as one country or even continent? Or maybe do we need to unite and find the solution together? Thank you, Maria. Um, I think it's very interesting to look at uh, humanity. I still remember uh, talking about education and being asked in several interviews uh, about the ultimate goal of education. You know, if you look at the uh, classical philosophers, when they talk about uh, knowledge, about education, they will say that uh, the ultimate goal of education is to attain happiness. But uh, yes, but the 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 definition of happiness there uh, is not a mere uh, 
let you say condition of uh, feelings or the inner condition of uh, you know when you feel happy no it goes beyond that I mean, even as i remember uh, not only aristotle but even the second teacher uh, faravez when he talk about politics he also mentioned that the ultimate goal of the, the virtuous state is the attainment of happiness and this goes back to uh my idea of education as i remember i've been asked many times about the ultimate goal uh, ultimate goal of education i would say that education uh the ultimate goal of education is to humanize individuals you know you need to inculcate the humanistic value values within individuals that is the core of education if you thought education is only about uh, you know achieving uh, academic grades or achieving flying colors uh, of your certificates or getting good grades uh, in exams or what not i think that is not education at all education should, should be understood as you know a process a holistic process of uh, inculcating humanistic value values uh, within individuals and to bring uh balance in human life and coming back to the question of uh how to bring humanistic within the society uh, just now i mean most of the speakers are talking about i were talking about uh, younger generation to be honest with you the younger generation they have a totally uh let me say better understanding of life in compared to us uh, the, the the elder generation um i mean for them the millennials and gen z they normally uh call us the boomers even the the gen x like myself is not yet reaching the the five series what we call in malaysia uh they would call us as boomers and you know which for them understand uh uh boomers understand the world in quite different way than how they look at the world you're talking about globalization project deep talk about cooperation prof kennedy talk about uh, you know uh, how we can uh, turn all this uh, profit oriented or grit into a a more positive way of things mind you and and you'll be surprised that all these kind of things is part and and and, and parcel of the discussion of the younger generation i mean the millennials we look in the workplace uh, they have no loyalty unlike what we have gone through you know we stick to one profession or one company throughout the years and but unlike them i mean the gig economy that uh, becoming very uh, popular and widespread amongst the younger generation especially and also uh, during the pandemic and post pandemic gig economy will be dominating the world has represents how the younger generations the millennials look at uh the very uh, intricate world that we are that we're living in could be simplified so and oversimplified not only that so if you're talking about uh, globalization in a very positive way we're talking about how we could work together you'd be surprised that uh, uh thanks to the internet and thanks to the 
artificial intelligence and big data, whatever, this younger generation could perceive things uh, far better than how we look at it. And they can coordinate amongst themselves. You know, the other day, I, I was in a discussion with a few others about big data and whatnot. And one of the presenters uh, who, I mean, uh, amongst the millennials, who consider himself as hacker, has shown to me the world of hackers, in which totally different from the sur surface world that we're living now. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and most of the things that happening in, in, in the kind of dark web, in the kind of uh, gig economy, in the kind of, you know, the, the, the underworld, which actually uh, dominating and, 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 and crafting what's happening on the surface, it's, 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 it's really interesting. And, and for these people, this younger generation, I think they, they, they are there. The only thing is we need to guide them. And this is where I think most of the younger generation, they're lacking of wisdom. I think due to the love that we have gone through and due to the age that we have, we have enjoyed, I think we have some kind of wisdom. And this is where the younger generation uh, needs from us the guidance of the wise uh, elderly uh, generation. And, and the, I would say that uh, uh, when, when you're talking about uh, how we could get those people to coordinate themselves, to cooperate themselves, uh, yes, they have that very idea. And sometimes you find that this younger generation, they love challenges and, and due to the uh, non-patient attitude that they have due to the computer, due to the, to the technology that we're having now, you know, uh, the, 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 the device, the handphone that they use has taught them, not only the millennials, but even the uh, the, uh, the, the other, the, the young, even the younger generation, they have no patience. But with that, I, I, I think it comes along with all the positive things. I'm, I'm not uh, trying to deny the negative things that come along with that impatience of uh, the younger generation attitude, but also all the goods, like, just like greed. When, when, when you say that there, I, there is also a positive phase of positive uh, side of, of greed, when, when, when you, 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 you have greed for love, greed of doing good things, greed of having more humanity, greed of contributing more uh, to others, that, that is good. I mean, uh, but again, I mean, we need to inculcate to the sense of humility. If we have humility, this is where you will have the sense of love more. You have the sense of mutually respecting others more. Without humility, you will find a world where uh, you feel that uh, you're living alone, you're feeling very selfish, and the sense of superiority upon others, and which is really bad. Thank you. That's all for me. Thank you so much, Dr. Malik. I'm a concerned parent, and I know exactly what dominates in uh, children's minds, what kind of values, what kind of 
quality because it's just like it's enough to look at who their role models and you will understand why like you mentioned they are lacking in wisdom of course they will be what kind of information they get from the social media from uh, tv from cartoons from video games and um it's i think it's our responsibility as a parent as adults it's not to build the world walls and to hide them from the negative impact but to be the change that we would like in a society to create the um that kind of condition each in which human can develop the personality can develop holistic like you said and we will not have that kind of information that damage our um minds and corrupt our minds so we definitely and this is our responsibility to create such a society and right now i would like to offer you an excerpt from a program with the participation of igor mikhailovich danilov the future it affects everyone and you can watch the full version of this program on alatra tv for me this excerpt was very eye opening so that's why we picked for our today's round table so let's watch it all together all of us need to unite even with those who criticize us because without them we can do nothing We need to unite with those who want to do nothing and lie on a couch, with those who shift responsibility. Well, let's say, with everyone. Why? Because we are all humankind. And in order for us to build one united civilization and really be able to withstand the present-day challenges, these catastrophic challenges, it's a problem which humanity has never faced before, and we must solve it and get through it. We have only two paths. Either we solve this problem, or we don't solve this problem. If we don't solve it, we cease to exist. This is no longer a fairy tale. This is already being talked about openly everywhere. That's why there was this statement. It was about the economy, but the man said it right. All of us, people, are in the same boat. We are floating down the river, and excuse me, there is a waterfall ahead. And in order for us not to fall off this waterfall, We must all unite and row in the opposite direction. We can stay afloat, we can survive, but only if we all row together. Really, all together, not passing our hours to others, because this is our life, and we must fight for it. And our children's future depends on how well we row. It's for their sake. If you don't want to row for your own sake, then let's row for the sake of your near and dear ones, for the sake of your friends and loved ones. But we have to row together in the same direction. Then we will have a chance. If we fail to unite, then this is our destiny. And humanity is indeed standing over the abyss. We have one step left. If we can join hands, we will be able to turn around and change a lot. If we fail to join hands, there is only one thing left for us to do — to take the last step and just fall into the abyss. But believe me, on the way down, everyone will realize that we were right 
and what should actually have been done. But when we fly down there, we won't be able to do anything anymore. There is a point beyond which we will be unable to do anything. A simple example. Even if we remove all humanity from our planet now, if we stop all our nuclear plants and all our factories, nothing will change. The situation is still… this flywheel that we have spun will destroy our planet anyway, even without us. Therefore, we must change the situation drastically. Otherwise, we will really just fall down off this cliff. But the people of Alatra at least have an advantage. They at least know where to fly, while the rest will just fall down. There is a point here too, but that's a different topic. But in general, we must do everything to survive, of course. You see? Another advantage of the Creative Society is that… I'll just give a simple example, so that everyone understands, even those for whom the environment is very poor and there is too much CO2. I'll put it in layman's terms. In the consumerist format, the highest value is money. But in the creative format, the highest value is human life. Yes, my friend, human life, yours, your children's, your mother's, and our lives, the lives of all people. And that's what it is built on. We begin to approach things in a different way. We will be able to think in a different way. We will be able to distribute everything in a different way. We will be able to produce everything in a different way. And we will have a chance that we will be able to implement. But we will be able to implement it jointly. That's the point. Or again, everything remains as it has been. We will live as we used to. The sun is still shining. When you go outside, the sky is blue and the grass is green. Why change anything? We can do it this way too. Again, it's up to us to decide. Friends, our choices will define everything. But remember one thing. We, who are living now, are the last generation. We are either the last generation that exists in the hell of the consumerist format, and the first generation to enter the paradise of the creative society. Or we are the last generation that lived in the paradise of the consumerist format and will enter the hell of that reality which awaits us tomorrow in the same consumerist format. It's up to us to decide whom to be, friends. Do you know what I would like to say? That in the future, regardless of the course of events, no matter which path we choose, there will be neither poor nor rich among us. All of us will be equal. But in one case, there will be a wonderful world, while in the other case, all of us will be equalized by the fate that we will determine. Exactly we, ourselves, through our indifference and inaction. And all of us will be equal. It's up to us to choose and to decide which path to follow. The choice is up to us, but the choice is up to everyone. If we don't convey this and do not awaken the entire humanity, we will not solve anything. We won't be able to do it on our own. In order for us to be able, let's say, to sail away along our river, in our boat from that waterfall, we should all row together. This is important. The time of egocentrism has passed. It's time to unite.
It's a wonderful time. It's time for everyone to mature and treat one's life responsibly. It's time to choose who you are — a human or an animal. If you are a human, you are a part of our entire civilization, the entire humanity. If you are an animal, then without you we will become animals too. And the choice is up to everyone — whom to be and whether we will live or not. You know, like in the classic, to be or not to be. And everyone makes this choice now, every one of us. Or doesn't make it. But the outcome will be according to our choice, according to the choice of each of us. Yes, never before has humanity faced such catastrophic challenges as now. And um, as Igor Mikhailovich said very clearly, we are re really in the same boat which rushes inexorably towards the waterfall. And our future and the future of our children and grandchildren depends on how we synchronize our actions and start growing. So the last question we would like to raise uh, today is the responsibility of each individual for the future of our civilization and for changing the format of society from consumer society to a human society, to a creative society. Uh, Professor Kennedy, as you said, the world will not change on its own. What do you think each of us can do to confront the daunting challenges that lie ahead? And what are the actions we need to start with? Thank you very much for uh, that question. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, my view is that uh, change will not happen on its own. And we will need to work together as a human community. How we achieve that is the most difficult part of the question. And I think it begins very much as, uh, as Dr. Malik has mentioned, with education. I think we need to work very strongly with our young people. I think we need to unite those young people. I'm always impressed with the young people I see on the screens when Alatra runs its programs, but I often wonder how much, how, what is being done to bring those together in a collaborative way so that they can interact. Somebody from Kiev can interact with somebody from Moscow, can interact with somebody from Saudi Arabia or the United States or, or Brazil. How do we bring those people together so that they can share their thoughts, work together in a cooperative and collaborative way to affect change in their countries, to get people in their countries to understand that there are other points of view, that there are other ways of looking at a problem. There are other solutions that maybe they haven't considered that can bring us all together, not with the perfect answer, because perfection, as so many people have said, is enemy of the good, but with a good answer that each and every one of us can live by. We're making progress in the area of climate change. You think of things that date back, uh, you know, several, several years ago, almost 30 some odd years, to things like the Mont Montreal Protocol, followed on then by the UN framework for the Convention on Climate Change, followed by 
Kyoto in, in, in 97 and, uh, and then the Paris agreement, more, more recent Paris agreement. We have got almost all of the nations of the world working together. We haven't solved the problem, but we are working on it. And it's that kind of interchange. And that can be very much driven by the younger generations who will be pushing into leadership positions. And let me say what I mean by leadership. I don't mean the person at the head of the table. Leadership can come from the foot of the table with ideas that stimulate thinking, ideas that generate creativity, and ideas that then carry forth into the broader community. So I think, yes, uh, we can make progress. I think we can do so by working together. But I think that working together will not come automatically. And I look toward organizations like Alatra to help bring people together to think about things in a creative way and work together across their nations, in their nations, and across nations to uh, solve some of the problems we confront today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Professor Kennedy. And um, uh, pro uh, Professor Setz, uh, you know, as Gandhi said, uh, be the change you want to see. And uh, we would like to ask you, how uh, can uh, one uh, recognize, how can one determine the, uh, our responsibility for the society in which we live in? Uh, there are, I think, two different approaches. One is to really realize the human potential. And the way I express that is to say, if you take a grain of wheat, a cereal, make it into a loaf of bread, the value add is about three times. If you take a rough diamond and cut it, polish it, an industrial raw material as opposed to agricultural raw material, the value add is about 15 to 20 times. But if you take a human being, mentor, nurture, invest, the value add is infinite. We say as, as an institution, whether it's a family or religion or government or NGO, makes no difference. Our goal, mission is to unlock the potential of others. If we take that view that we can have a meaningful life, not unlocking ourselves, but unlocking potential of others, I think the world will be in a much better place. In the process, we can easily suggest three things in life you need. If you look at all the political leaders, social leaders, business leaders, there are three ingredients that come together. Of course, the know-how, the expertise of the activity that you are doing, whether you are an artist, musician, or business head, or whatever it is. But you also need, at the same time, passion. So how do you inculcate passion, which comes to our positivity about the future? I can do it. I can contribute. And you need that passion to be inculcated. And quite often, people become passionate through this discovery through learning, suddenly they realize something I never thought about it, I can do it. And the third element, equally important, is having empathy. I think the world now has definitely expertise. We have educated all the vocational technical training. 
The world is passionate. Quite a lot of entrepreneurs are very passionate of making money, making a difference, maybe. But what has been lacking over time or declining, in my view, is empathy. And I think that is where an active intervention comes in. And I believe very strongly in my comment because I'm a personal experience myself. I'm a refugee from Burma or Myanmar before World War II when Japan ruled over Burma. And we were people of Indian origin, so we had to go back, leave everything behind. So I can relate to the refugees right now. World War II was starting. For about six or eight years, we had no money, but there was no supply. There was a shortage of sugar, kerosene. We had no electricity in those days. But if you survive, you have a strong inner character. And you begin to understand the world, how difficult it can be. But you begin to appreciate how human has a nature to somehow survive, improvise, become creative in many ways, creativity out of necessity, not just out of passion. So I would have gone back to my country, India, and would be a merchant running a little shop, earning probably in our today's economy based upon purchasing power parity concept that Professor Kennedy talked about, maybe equivalent to about $200 a month. No education whatsoever, just a literacy, barely literacy. And today I'm a professor. I would have never imagined that's possible because the society invested in me. My sisters nurtured me, my brothers nurtured me, community nurtured me, and my potential was basically got out by other people. I think we have to learn that one lesson and be positive about And that's what we do in academic world. As professors, we unlock the potential of other human beings, our students, our colleagues, whoever they are. To me, that's the sign of a leader. Leader is in the business of unlocking the potential of others, either at a national level or at the individual level. And the second comment I wanted to make, maybe a tangential but appropriate, over time I found with lots of advice and consulting to very large corporations, very wealthy individuals as coaching, that the more you make money without meaning, becomes meaningless. Most of these people, after earning lots of money, feel very lonely inside. And surprisingly, if you're not given back while you are earning, not when you retire after accumulating wealth, but as you earn wealth in some fashion, earn income, they find themselves society isolating them also. Society believes that you are here to, as a greed, take money from us, societal resources for your own benefit, self-interest, rather than contributing toward other interest also at the same time. So being, doing well by doing good is not the concept you believe in. And surprisingly, the society isolates the people. They're very lonely. They're very lonely inside. And some of them, therefore, commit suicide in the process after having what we would call a materialistic success. Or we educate to say, find something that you can give back. And there's an overwhelming evidence, I'm belaboring the point, but hardworking executives, when they retire at age 65, 
suddenly say, I want to play golf, and I'll be in a golf country club. And after four months, six months, they feel lonely because their whole identity was around the position, the corporation, the entity they belong to. And there's an overwhelming evidence that within 18 months they die. Losing self-identity. If you lose your self-identity, you yourself are going to go downhill. Which is why greed is a very self-destructive phenomenon. It is not good for you either, not only not good for the society. So to me, I think educational institutions or family as an institution has to inculcate the values of empathy and passion in addition to learning the literacy, the three hours of learning, as we try to do in the academic setting. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, um, you've touched upon uh, uh, many topics. And, uh, of course, uh, the values should be uh, everywhere in society right from the beginning. And um, it is important uh, to uh, show to show the way to talk about these things uh, in order to... Um, uh, change things in our society and um, uh, we can uh, ask also uh, Professor Loiza what uh, will help all people uh, start uh, this uh, mutual dialogue and uh, speak boldly, honestly and openly uh, just uh, like you said that the bell already tolls so um, uh, what should uh, all of us do? So I do believe that the answer uh, is what you are doing. Uh, I find the Alatra Initiative one of the most effective uses of technology, uses of uh, uh, humanity in the sense of uh, all of you, you are uh, volunteers and uh, what you have uh, done is really remarkable. So I will say that uh, what you are doing is the answer to your question. But if I can say uh, something related to the um, current times, it will be the following. In the, in the last weeks, uh, so we were all in the world amused and uh, we see with great expectation the space race between Musk, Bezos and Branson. So bringing people to the <laughs> out space, the first uh, pe uh, person who pays for a ticket in a spacecraft and the like. And everybody in the world was uh, wondering how these people in such a, a small artifacts could, could go for some minutes or whatsoever, but they could go in a very orderly way and cooperative way. So uh, they go to the space and come back. So guess what? So we are 7 billion of cosmonauts in one spacecraft called Earth. So what we admire in these four or three people uh, in those uh, space uh, crafts, it was order, cooperation, politeness, empathy, etc. So we could do the same 
in this spacecraft named Earth. And I will, uh, I will say that uh, these things are possible because of people like you in Alatra uh, trying to put together people uh, with education. That's the, that's the uh, valuable asset in this world, as uh, Professor Malik says. I will say that uh, this energy the, the, that is capitalism, as uh, Professor said, said is invaluable because it gives us all the the mankind the the vision to go farther and farther but with no greed as professor kennedy says uh, so we can uh, fix a lot of things in the surface of the earth not the things that are going inside but we have to be very aware of these inequalities so Rounding all these concepts, I will say uh, that uh, so uh, I can see with optimism the future because we have uh, a younger generation who is very aware of uh, climate change, who is very aware of uh, inequalities, and they try to do something to fix it. So now it's our turn as the seniors of this world, to provide them with some framework, to provide them with the best uh, things that we can do in terms of provide education to everybody, in terms to provide more information like you all in Alatra are doing, and to provide with optimism like uh, all of the distinguished members of this panel said. So I, I can only say that I am very honored to, to be in the company of uh, such a wonderful person, such a wonderful team, and to, to say, well, we, we are in the same and only planet, and we are in a, in a very a small spacecraft, and we have to do all the best that is in our hands to preserve our spacecraft. We have no, no other one as spare parts. <laughs> Thank you to everybody. Thank you so much, Jorge, for your kind words, for your support. Really appreciate it. And definitely another thing con that consumer society taught us is uh, how to, not how to act, but how to shift the responsibility. We are sitting still and waiting and hoping that somebody will come and fix uh, our mistakes, our problem. And if he or she will not be able to fix it, that we will blame. We will shift everything on his or her shoulders. But right now we need to grow up. We need to recognize that and act on our own initiative. And uh, Dr. Malik, I would like to ask our last question to you. How do you think is important to unite right now and build a creative society? Society in which human life will be of the highest value. Okay, it's, uh, it's really important. I mean, unity is very important. I mean, just like our distinguished and respected uh, other speakers have mentioned, uh, mentioned earlier that uh, 
we cannot do this alone. We need to do it together. And I think we cannot uh, do things in silos. I mean, we need each other. We are mutually depending on each other because the analogy made by Professor Jorge is very interesting. We're living in this small spacecraft together. We must not destroy it, but we must preserve it together. Uh, I would like to applaud what has been done by Elatra. Uh, and I think uh, what is need to be improved furthermore is a further collaboration with other uh, independent organizations throughout the world. Uh, true creative ways. I mean, nowadays you're talking about uh, social media, you're talking about just now, uh, we're talking about uh, artificial intelligence, we're talking about algorithm, how we can uh, manipulate, uh, how we can make full use of the algorithm of the source map to push our humanity agenda of our you know, peace idea, how we could reach to the younger generation. Uh, it reminds me of uh, the virtual uh, communities or virtual societies that our younger generation are living with. What pandemic left us or left the, the younger generation is the more inward uh, life in the reality, but outward life in virtual reality. I mean, although they are stuck inside the house, due to the lockdown, due to the pandemic. But you know, this younger generation, they are communicating with their friends throughout the globe, be them in Kiev, be them in Kuala Lumpur, be them in DC, be them in uh, San Antonio or wherever they are, either through gaming, <laughs> they have their games <laughs> community, Roblox or, or uh, Minecraft, PUBG and whatever online gaming they're communicating. I still remember uh, my 12 year, 12 years old son telling, uh, telling me a lot of things about climate change, about this and that. I asked him, where did you pick those things from? When, when he was only 10 then, he said, oh, it's through the internet, <laughs> through the YouTube, through the community that I belong to. He said, what community you belong to? You know, during our time, talking about secret society or gangs really frighten the parents. But nowadays, even as small as 10, 12, they have their own community and society in their virtual world. Uh, and it's not, not always bad. Sometimes it might be their gaming uh, community or maybe their entertainment community or sports. Just, just imagine the English lake has its own audience throughout the world. They're communicating with each other. And as you remember, when few racism incidents occurred, uh, either in, in, in the football field or outside the football field, people are talking about it and people are you know, reacting towards it. You know, they, they, they abhor and they condemn the, 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 the racism incidents and whatnot. You know, these kind of things. We should further... Uh, let me say, uh, making full use of it or dominating the sphere by pushing forward our humanistic agenda. Uh, and we need, whether we like it or not, uh, Elatra and other friendly uh, organizations to Elatra, we need to outreach uh, the celebrities. 
whether you like it or not, they have their own, you know, global audience. You know, just like the K-pop, uh, <laughs> the K-pop artists. I mean, it's, it's a mind blowing for me to see. You know, in the past, it just a cook. I mean, uh, the, the Korean K-pop means Korean pop celebrities, artists, singers. You know what I mean? Uh, be them the, the the singers, the bands, or the drama or the movies. It went worldwide. You know, it 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 goes beyond the Hollywood movies. It goes beyond the the typical Western celebrities, singers, and actors. I mean, I just imagine these celebrities and the like of others. And, and now in Malaysia, even with thanks to the Netflix, it's not only the K-pop, not only the Hollywood, even the Latin celebrities becoming more, more and more uh, popular in 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 Southeast Asia. They they have their own influence to the community. So this is where, if we are really concerned about pushing our agenda forward, the the, the humanity idea, humanistic idea, we need to convert them to be part of us. We need to get them into our bandwagon to share this idea of sharing, caring, mutual respect, and talking about uh, loving each other and, and and spreading the word of love. I mean, I trust you find a lot of uh, people who are sharing this kind of passion. They only need uh, people like us to 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 leave our comfort zone and tap their hearts and tap their minds. And I mean, the kind of uh, the event that we're having today, I trust should be uh, watched and should be viewed by uh, others throughout the world rather than our own audience, I mean, especially among the younger generation. I'm talking about younger generation. Professor Jagdeep talking about India. There's one movie which is very popular in Malaysia by Amir Khan. The title is Three Idiots. I really encourage our speakers and our friends to watch that movie and even our audience. I mean, it talks about the younger generation and their issue of identity. You talk about identity from Jagdeep just now. I mean, and, and how we, the boomers, the, the elder generation, have different thoughts on how uh, our children should live. I mean, we have our own idea of uh, what happiness is all about, what life is all about. But the younger generation, they have different approach in looking at how the world should operate differently from how it was uh, handled by the, the 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 previous generation or the 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 elder generation. And this three idiots movie uh, is about college students. Who, who try to pursue their ambition, try to pursue their life differently from the expectation of their parents. And it was based on uh, some kind of true stories, a true story of uh, one guy who's now, you know, uh, living as uh, inventor in, 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 uh, in Ladakh, uh, which, which he found uh, his happiness there. I mean, I, 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 I strongly encourage everybody to watch that in order to understand our younger generation. And I think uh, finally, my final word is to say that uh, we need to spread this, this idea and this uh, you know, passion that we share together uh, in a more creative way 
through a larger audience. And thank you again. Uh, thank you, Dr. Malik, and thank you for these inspiring uh, words, uh, words of support. And uh, I would like uh, just to mention that, you know, we've spent um, countless hours by inviting um, celebrities, uh, actors, uh, top CEOs uh, of uh, many companies that uh, were also mentioned today. Uh, and we still continue to uh, uh, really do our best to invite these people because you know, all the millions of people that trust them, uh, trust their opinion. These opinion leaders, they are responsible for these people. And uh, <clears throat> now it is time for them to come out and say how the things are and that we have to unite because <clears throat> we are on the same boat and this concerns everyone. Uh, the fame will be uh, of no use if you don't have a ship uh, uh, to sail on, as uh, Jorge said, you know, if this ship breaks, uh, then it doesn't matter how many, uh, how many prizes you have or how much money you have, because uh, you know, uh, we are in the dire straits, and this is why we uh, invite again all uh, everyone who is listening, and please spread the message that on December fourth, twenty twenty one, another conference, uh, global crisis. Time for the Truth will be held on everywhere online on the platform of Alatra International Public Movement. And we invite everyone who understands the importance of spreading this message of unity in order to save humanity. And thanks again for everyone today for all your opinions. It was really um, inspiring to see that uh, there is this uh, synergy between people from different countries and uh, as uh, uh, Dr. Malik just said, we can gain also a lot from uh, synergies, not only between uh, different countries, but uh, intergenerational uh, cooperation to learn from each other because we are uh, all a little different, but the same. Our all, uh, our, all our aspirations are the same. And we've learned this during the 10 years we've been doing social surveys, asking people, what is this world they would like to live in. So thanks, thanks again, and uh, I'm passing the word to Marina. Thank you very much, Alexei. And indeed, today the world is changing at such a great speed, and the climate crisis is spreading so rapidly that it's already obvious for everyone. And only by coming together, only by uniting, we can overcome these difficulties. And in closing, I would like to express my gratitude to the distinguished guests of today's International Roundtable for your invaluable example, your insight, your support of Creative Society. And I would like to remind you that today we are gathered in the continuation of the online conference, The Global Crisis. It already affects everyone, which was held on July 24th. 2021 and was simultaneously interpreted into 72 languages so dear guests thank you so much yes and we also would like to thank our dear viewers for all the support and participation all the comments for your constructive uh, ideas and uh, you know for the words uh, that you passed on to our guests and uh, today we shared with you and with each other uh, these uh, 
valuable information about how important it is to establish an uh, amicable dialogue between countries and uh, the people who live in them. And we need to unite as soon as possible and choose the constructive path of our development so that the technologies that can help us to cope with the threats of the climate can be used in time and truly for the benefit of people, each and every one of us and all of us together. Only together can we meet any challenge and overcome it. So please share this information with everyone you know, and we once again invite you to the new conference, Global Crisis, Time for the Truth, on December 4th, 2021, where we will further elaborate on climatic and ecological disasters. Once again, thank you so much, everyone who organized this roundtable. Thank you, Marina. Thank you, dear guests. And uh, to each of you, uh, our interpreters, designers, technical team, everyone who makes this online broadcast on Water TV possible. See you soon again. Bye-bye.